0: I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 81, live from the TIBCO Energy Forum here in beautiful Houston, Texas. Great day out. Yep, sitting in the official media room recording podcast number what three today we got our own room today we got our own room
1: yeah. <laughs> not even in the we got a separate room yeah we got a separate room with a bathroom the bathroom and a shower we're <laughs> yeah. moving up man yep we're moving up great uh great form if you're in the oil and gas industry and you've heard about big data and analytics and lord knows i've been talking about it <laughs> from the very beginning of the show this is the place to be um it's too late to go now unless you have a time machine but uh put it on your calendar for for next year 2017 because we'll be here again um James it was amazing to see all the young people in oil and gas all excited about big data analytics we had the uh I'm going to get his title wrong what was michael's title oh gosh he's gonna ask at-
0: me because i didn't write it down I, it, well you kept screwing it up that's why yeah <laughs> the problem. um he, he's the uh he's the chief analytics officer officer i want to say yeah chief analytics officer our apologies to him yeah. if he's listening yeah uh, and i mean
1: he just gave, he just gave a great interview james could kick that out as a 0.5 episode somewhere um, next but, week yeah but we're in a room with so much talent in this industry and it's just so cool to see the stuff that people's doing with technology
0: yeah it it really is i mean the efficiencies and you really have to listen to the 0.5 episode especially if you're in sales thinking through some of the ways that a sales team can use dashboards that, that that was really exciting for me to hear, Mark. Yeah, who would think that big data would actually make sales teams more productive? But
1: Michael laid it on the line with a real client example, and it's really happening.
0: Yeah, it's really happening. I mean, well, I really liked it, Mark, because you and I often talk about, really, sales is all, all about solving problems. And what better way to to actually demonstrate that you can solve a problem than showing a visual dashboard in front of the person with their own data, right? Yeah, and from a sales point of view, this isn't you trying to sell something. This is
1: you go into a prospect and go, look, not only do you have this problem, we've quantified it for you. Here's what the problem is. Here's what's costing, what costing you in production. Here's what's costing you money. And here's where we've done work just like this in other companies. And here's the least amount of time we, money we save. Here's the most. And so, I mean, it, it takes the finesse out of sales and makes it a
0: science, which is a great place to be both for you as a salesperson and your prospect. Yeah. And the last point I'll make, we got plenty of stories in only a little bit of time, but um, I talk about confidence. We talk about confidence because that's the biggest deal, right? You believing in the product that you're selling and actually for the sales person, seller, the sales guy, girl, whatever gal, um, being able to have the confidence of, of knowing because they're using data that the product that they're demonstrating is going to do what it's going to do because it's based off the client's data. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. When you have total confidence in your product or solution
1: as a salesperson, it makes you 10 times more effective. Yeah. And speaking of being at the Tipco Energy Forum, we're obviously on the road and we wouldn't mind getting on the road for you, your company, your organization, your book club, uh, (laughs) your your sales and marketing team, whatever. Your happy hour. Your happy hour. (laughs) Yeah. So if you'd like James and I to come talk and speak and present at your event, reach out to us. We'll share the details because we'd love to do so.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get into the stories, Mark. Um, A tumultuous week, um, but we're going to kick things off because it's uh, everybody's favorite pseudo-dictator. We haven't heard from him in a while. So let's talk about our good friend, Mr. Vladimir Putin. Uh, Missed the interview with Putin. Here are the key takeaways from Bloomberg.
1: Yeah. So. uh it's interesting to see him blasting both Trump and Clinton for, for uh basically uh um, putting on a political shenanigan campaign. And you think about that, where have we got to in this country where the Russians <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the ballyhoo and tomfoolery of us. Yeah, and it's like I mean, this is in, in some cases as an American, I'm a, I'm a bit embarrassed about this because he, he even though it's funny, he does make a point if you look at what's going on this election. Um And then he also talks a bit about the whole um, um, Democratic National Conference hack that a lot of people blamed on the Russians. And I actually, I can't believe I'm going to say this, um, but he actually said something like, well, if it wasn't us, it it doesn't even matter who it was, but it happened. They did it. And I go, you know what? He's right. The stuff they uncovered, it doesn't matter how it was uncovered. Although I don't condone anybody, foreign governments or people hacking into other people's systems. But what they did was wrong, and it was uncovered. I
0: do from a white hat perspective. I'll, I'll disagree with you there.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, um, once again, is I can't believe he's making fun of us for our politicians doing something <laughs> wrong. I
0: mean, where have we gotten in this country? Rome oh, is burning. <laughs> but let's talk about, though, it's interesting. They talk about the Rosneft. Uh, he actually speaks positively about the, about the, um, the privatization of Rossneft.
1: It, the, the, it's not all of it, but, but some of it. It's slightly, yeah. anyway. And so what's happening in Russia, and the same thing's happened in China. And, and who,
0: What's Rothsneft for anybody? It's their know? nationalized
1: oil company. Yeah. Um, one of two, I think. Um, what What's happening in Russia, the same thing's happening in China, is the fact that the government has realized that allowing free market to proliferate actually helps everybody. They're concerned about it, so they're not going to just open the doors wide open. They're going to take it bit by bit, piece by piece. But if you look at what's happening in China, there's a lot of privatization going on, and everybody benefits. The population benefits, the shareholders of the company or the ownership of the company benefits. And then the government realizes, hey, instead of me trying to run all this, let me just take tax money. And then I don't have to try to run a business, but I still get money. So th- this is where uh, Russia's going. It's where China's going. It's a natural progression. Um, it, like, like I said, it won't happen quickly, but the fact that it's happening at all,
0: combined with the fact that he's making fun of our politics, it's <laughs> just, <which is, sighs> yeah. yeah. So for anybody that goes and checks out the, the show notes and, and clicks through, reads the story, I'm also curious, not that it has anything to do with oil and gas, but it has this uh, subhead in, in section here, making friends with Japan. And there's a backstory with World War II and you being the military guy, I'm, I'm curious to get the backstory from you.
1: Yeah, so, um, so Russia was a, a very strong ally during World War II. It's, um, we would have not been able to halt the Nazi invasion if the Russian forces couldn't hold the line during the winter. Now, Japan was on the Axis side of the house. But what happened post-war is Russia actually chipped in and helped rebuild Japan, just like we did as well. And so now that Japan has is in a bit of an energy fix, right, they've condemned a lot of their nuclear plants because of the disaster that happened in their tsunami, but they have no natural resources of their own, which means they need to buy energy. And in today's world, that's oil and uh, LNG, and Russia's happy to broker those deals because Russia has a ton of oil and natural gas. So, um, you know, old... Enemy bedfellows who far in time are now like best friends and buddy buddies it's the same way with us in Japan. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that Russia's talking with OPEC about production caps. Last time Saudi Arabia pulled out of the, the discussions I don't think Saudi now um, can take the risk of pulling out so I think this is going to go forward if they manage to put in caps on production you're going see the price and crude rebound literally overnight. it will not rebound to 70 or well should't say it won't rebound to 80 or 100 dollars. But it could easily spike at 70 and then settle again at that $55, $60 mark.
0: All right, you jumped ahead on me, but it's a great segue because our next article from Seeking Alpha, we get getting Seeking Alpha in off the top, but can OPEC and Russia increase oil prices? Uh, the answer is yes,
1: because you have to remember there's two components of the price of oil there's the real market driver. So the consumption, the supply, the oversupply or a shortage. The other part is perception by traders. That's why when you see somebody make an announcement about something new, the price will go up 3 or $4 a barrel. So if OPEC and Russia actually agree upon a cap, it will inf- affect the long-term stability mindset of the traders, which will automatically push the barrel probably up close to $10 just by making that agreement. And then what happens is it'll, it'll drop down a little bit, and then market forces will correct, and it'll settle at its new real, um, which actually in, in the beginning may be a little bit higher than what people are expecting um, because our global uh, oversupply is shrinking so rapidly.
0: Yeah, and so anybody that doesn't know, the, um, the back story here is that, obviously, Saudi Arabia and, and Russia, they're going bankrupt because yeah. of these low crude prices. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, so so Saudi Arabia is not going bankrupt, but Saudi Arabia is having to dip into its savings account.
0: Maybe, maybe I'm
1: saying Russia is going bankrupt. Yeah, well, Russia is going bankrupt, okay? And Russia depends on oil and gas as much as Saudi Arabia does. The problem is we have sanctions, us in Europe. So basically, the sanctions limit the technology and the companies that can do work in Russia right now. So Russia's conventional reservoirs are producing as normal. The Sanctions haven't hurt that. But the new oil that to discover, the deep water, um, their um, unconventionals, they can't do it because we won't let them import the technologies. And the Russian government knows that this is a ticking time bomb, that they need to get some type of settlement happen before these old reservoirs peak, which actually some of them are already peaking. Um, Saudi Arabia has a different problem in the fact that it has to keep its youth employed or they'll they'll, they'll, uh, overthrow the government, right? They'll be the ones that be radicalized. In order to do that, they need jobs. The the market doesn't support the jobs, so the government props up the job market by using money and have all these social programs um, that typically make that money from selling oil and gas. Right now, they're not making that money, and they're having to dip in a savings account. And just like you and me, James, if you have to dip in your savings account to pay your bills and you can't put money back into it, that endgame's not nice. And Saudi Arabia knows that. So that's that's that's
0: you you're, you're right that Russia and Saudi Arabia are in the same boat slightly different reasons but in the same boat. Yeah. Well, this is definitely a developing story so we'll have to follow how those talks go because I've seen even seen some newer headlines now. But well, let's move over to New Zealand. High-tech cyber drill ri- <laughs> high-tech cyber drill rig makes presence felt in Mozambique bush. Yeah, so this is really cool article. Uh, this is a French
1: company in combination with Sassoil, which is a, a African knock in combination with a, a manufacturing company here in Houston, um, has developed this 2,000-horsepower land rig. Wow! <laughs> let me, let, that is like a Ferrari cutting rock right now. That thing must be ripping through just miles and miles. It's wonder than they keep the bits on that thing. And so um, it's a modular design, which means that you can actually take this rig completely apart, put it completely back to better, which means it's a, very easy and inexpensive to move. It's almost like if you're building a rig out of Legos, right? But these Legos have 200 horsepower. It's also a ton of really high-tech um, drilling equipment, which makes it actually safer, much, much safer. The drilling floor is very compact. All the pipes being handled automatically, the um, the iron roughneck, which is actually takes the place of two or three guys uh, using tongs and changes state of the art. Um, you know, this is this is really cool stuff. And it's um it's it's being done in a part of the world that you never think would have high technology. So it's gonna be interesting to watch um, how the quickly this thing can punch holes in the ground, how quickly it can go in production, because it's only gonna benefit the people in Africa. So what exactly are they drilling for oil gas? What are they getting? So they're looking for both. Um, and, but they're look, they're investing about one and a half billion dollars to develop 16 wells. Um, and then they, the pipeline they're doing the construction of the pipeline in anticipation of being productive so they can move that product to market.
0: So fun fact, I actually had to look it up since each has like a Ferrari, a Ferrari 488 GTB's engine is 660 horsepower. Yeah. So that's actually three, Ferraris Ferraris drilling. Yes. (laughs) that's Three Ferraris drilling in the earth. All right. Oh, not much to laugh about on this next one because gosh, um, you and I have talked about this so much off the mic. I I mean, how much more can I say to you, but video Dakota access pipeline construction resumes after protest turns violent. This is sad. I mean, it's real sad. We've touched on this before. Um, the oil and gas
1: companies have done everything they were supposed to do through multiple government and state agencies. Um James, I mean this is you know i'm I'm one thirty second Cherokee Indian myself, right, so I have some sympathy for the Native Americans. This is silly this you, you don't need to make be protesting things using social media, which then allows the news to jump on it to spread half truths misconception, outright lies, and target a company that quite frankly allows your reservation to actually function.
0: Yeah, so I'm just going to run through this. It's a bit long, but this is the post, just for all of the listeners that don't know this story. I'm going to take you through the exactly. Um, the timeline because misinformation and slanderous lies and everything happen a lot in this industry. And I don't want to get too, um, divisive in everything here because I said that to you earlier, Mark, that's the problem. You know, you see so much of this that you get cynical and then you just hate everyone who doesn't like oil. And that's not a place I want to get, but the background story here. So the, the North Dakota, the, the Dakota access pipeline it's an oil pipeline that will carry Bakken crude from North Dakota to the refineries in Illinois, which will also go down to the Gulf Coast. The plans for the pipeline were announced in 2014. The Army Corps of Engineers, as you said, worked with local authorities, environmental regulators, and residents. This is all, basically, I spent, Mark, I don't know if I told you, I spent, gosh, three or four hours the other night digging through, getting the entire story. Yeah, I think I told you yeah, that you in did. text. And it, t- 20, 30 links later, that here's, here's what I came up with. What's interesting here, Mark, is that both the Standing Rock Sioux Nation and the adjacent Three tribe it's the Mandan Hidastat, uh, Hidasta, Hidatsa and Arikara, uh, MHA Nation they all have they both, I should say, have producing Bakken oil wells on their respective reservations. The oil wells owned by the tribes, they already are producing oil safely. Which is interesting because they actually have to get that oil out somehow. Yeah,
1: you, know, you have to get it to market. It does no good if you can't sell it.
0: Right. And so, you know, kind of have to state the obvious. This is for Facebook people that, as you know, I'm from up north, so I'm friends with a lot of people that don't know about this industry. These oil wells actually produce oil. <laughs> so um, it, basically it has to be shipped somewhere, like you said. Pipelines are definitely the best way to ship it. Constructing, construction was slated to begin... Um, And one of the big headlines that you see everywhere um, from the anti-oil and gas side of things is that they say that the tribe was shut out of conversation. And that's actually completely a complete lie because of the fact that the tribe actually met over grounds that the pipeline was going to go through in Iowa. And they rerouted it as a result. So that's not true. And who came in and did this? It's actually a conglomeration campaign between... Uh, several different organizations, let's put it that way, called the "Keep It in the Ground" campaign. They those activists came on came onto the reservation, got everybody fired up by saying, "Your water, what about your water?" And as a result, everyone freaked out because who does who wants contaminated groundwater, right? Right? Who wants that? So they all freak out. Well, here's the here's the real backstory: is that their drinking water comes from two water intakes on the Missouri River, and one of those two is affected by the pipeline as in the, their, their drinking water comes from downstream of that, of where the pipeline will cross. One of them does not. The one that does, that is affected by the pipeline, I should say, is scheduled to be sunset because it's so old that it doesn't make financial sense to fix it. And wait, let me stop there. But it's scheduled to be shut down before all this started, right? Right. Yeah. It's been scheduled, it, they've been working on shutting it down for like, or it's been, they've been knowing it's going to happen for really over the course of about 10 years. So the whole thing about water contamination, it's, I, I just, I hate accusing people of lies, but this is just a bold faced, straight across the board, complete lie. Yeah. And I watched it happen from, like you said, I, I remember I first brought it up to so you, you said, you didn't even heard of this thing. And oh my gosh, just the way it spun out of control is just insane. Yeah, and it's it's once
1: again the people, the tribes are going to suffer if this pipeline gets shut down. Ultimately, the tribes could suffer. Now, the keep it in the ground campaign, they'll benefit from it. Yeah, nobody, nobody else will.
0: Yeah, yeah, don't. Yeah, and then <laughs> several celebrities have hung their flag on that. Don't be like celebrities. All right, Oklahoma runs into a uh, runs into a roadblock. Um, they actually ran into that roadblock because of a um, of the fact that they had to shut down some wells. So let's start with that one. Oklahoma Corporation come. Commission shutting down wells following earthquake. We go from mad protests to another just hot fire issue because everyone felt this one. I mean, I saw several people in Dallas that are in the industry saying, did you feel that? So walk us through what happened in, in Oklahoma. Okay, so before I start this, earthquakes
1: happen before mankind was on this planet. If we destroy ourselves, earthquakes will happen after. It's part of nature, right? Sorry. So Oklahoma had an uh, earthquake 5.6 magnitude, which is a big earthquake. And we had um what was Mike's name? We had had a video of him and had him on the show. The, uh, I'm not getting it right yeah, the, now. The earthquake scientist from the University of Miami. But anyway, I'm sorry, Mike. Yeah, we're sorry, Mike. <laughs> we can't remember your last name. Um, anyway, um, but he he helped clarify the fact that his research, his team's research, has actually shown a correlation between wastewater injection and the increase in earthquakes. And that correlation is minute, but it's it's there. Um, so. The earthquakes, the increase in earthquakes are not caused by fracking. It's not caused by drilling wells. It's caused by disposal of the wastewater, which this industry as a whole is getting away from at a rapid pace. But But we've been doing it
0: since the beginning.
1: From the beginning, right? And it's only very certain uh, specific situations where that uh, wastewater disposal well intersects the right piece of geology, which is, once again, in that self-rare. So what they did here, which is the right thing to do, is they had this big earthquake in Oklahoma. So the um, Oklahoma Corporation Commission shut down, which is their equivalent to our railroad commission, shut down um, um, every uh, deep water disposal well within 725 square miles around the epicenter of the earthquake. That just makes sense, right? That's that's the Oklahoma government looking ahead to try to protect its people. It doesn't mean that the wastewater injection caused the earthquake. It's it's the government looking at a way to reduce further risk and while they um, do the investigation to figure out what's going on. So that's what this article is about. Um, you know, once again, earthquakes are not caused by the oil and gas industry. I've had, I've had so many people tell me, it's like, no, there were earthquakes way before there were people drilling for oil and gas. And the other thing that a lot of people don't understand is in the U.S. as a whole, in the last immediate future, in the last 10 years, our seismic activity has went up, but it's went up equally, right? So there's more seismic activity in Arizona than there was last year, but there's no oil exploration in Arizona. There's no wastewater well. So that's another component. You need to always look at these type of things to understand what's really going on from a holistic point of view.
0: All right. So what are these roadblocks? Because this is another one, uh, one that the anti oil and gas crowd is, is jumping on saying, well, basically nothing's going to happen now. So what's going on with this story here? Oklahoma runs into roadblocks following the quake. And this is from an actual news organization.
1: Yeah. So, so what's happened is after the, uh, the quake and it's not just didn't affect Oklahoma. A lot of people in Northern Texas felt it around. And so, um, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency jumped in and, and wanted to start uh, making decisions. So basically, oh, the federal, go. government, federal government wanted to start, jump and start <laughs> making decisions. The earthquake hadn't even been finished yet. And so they wanted to make decisions. <laughs> were they just sitting there at the ready? I don't know, but they, they wanted to make decisions. And then they um, they reached out to the Texas Railroad Commission and says, look, we're gonna, you're, you're going to fall under our jurisdiction because this—I'm this, trying not to laugh— um, <laughs> You're going to fall under our jurisdiction because this earthquake just happened. Don't mess with Texas, baby. And, the, and, the, and the, our railroad commission says, no, no freaking way, right? We're not listening. You, you don't know what you're doing. We do. Let's see what happens. Let's kind of figure this out. And then what happens is um, you end up having the real problems that were caused by the earthquake on Saturday, right? But then you had the social problems that in social media that weren't actually real. And so the, the real problems, considering it was that big an earthquake, um you know nobody lost their lives um there was some property destroyed the real problems could have been much worse but if you look at what's going on in social media they make it like it's the <laughs> yeah. san francisco quake of the century right, you right. Know? and so buildings that, fell on people yeah and so you know th- that's an issue as well and um you know the quakes happen. We talked about this in a previous article. Our industry, along with the state governments um, and the federal governments not that the, not even not that not that Oklahoma <laughs> right or Texas what the federal government there um, but they're looking into this and they all have very smart people. They have very smart geologists, geophysicists. Um, my guess, James, is this is just a normal earthquake. Um, I'm I'm not a geologist, but. You know they do happen, and and they're looking at this. But what we don't need is a knee jerk reaction by parts of the federal government that honestly don't know how to do anything properly.
0: Yeah, but you've said this before on the show that we need to own
1: this issue. But, yeah, and and we do. So um, you know, we talked about it earlier. You know, once we figured out uh, through some very smart people, both inside the industry and outside, that in the right geology, a wastewater well can increase seismic activities. We said, okay, what do we need to do to get from wastewater wells? And so what the natural solution? Let's start recycling this water. So let's build the infrastructure, and you're seeing that go at a rapid pace. And an unexpected side effect of that is it actually lowers costs and it actually increases safety for the actual people. Um, none of that was the uh, impetus to get this started. The start was, hey, it looks like we are causing seismic activity. Let's stop doing it. And in another probably three years, I don't think you'll see any uh, deep water injection anymore from the oil and gas industry. All that water will be recycled, or we'll be using other things like
0: CO two or even uh, salt water. You know. All right, man, let's shake it off. Goodness gracious. <laughs> so much, to, so much stress, so much, so, so much, uh, hate rolling around the social media world against us this week, but, and let me just say social media, you wouldn't exist without the thermoplastics, <laughs> the oil and gas industry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, or the hundred and plus million dollars getting from the truck. Anyway, um, let's talk about speaking of a hundred plus goodness gracious. This is a massive deal. And I cannot wait to hear you talk through what's going on here. Enbridge and Spectra merged. So Enbridge acquired Spectra. They merged to create a $127 billion midstream company.
1: So you might not be old enough to remember this, but I can't remember what year, but in the 90s, Exxon and Mobil merged Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. created Exxon Mobil. All of a sudden, you went from having two big companies to having a global behemoth. Mm -hmm. That's what this is, James. This is now (laughs) the largest... A pipeline company in north america and one of the largest pipeline companies in the world larger than many of the knox out there so 127 billion that's not million billion midstream company um it's a it's a um it's a uh, all share uh, trade it's it's a very good deal 28 billion dollars in shares yeah um the the new company will call be called enbridge incorporated there's a bunch of expansion projects especially on the old enbridge side that will continue and what this is going to do, this is going to bring leverage to the new company and, and, and to a scale that, quite frankly, if I was a smaller pipeline company, I'd be worried right now. I'd be really worried.
0: So that's, I'm going to jump in here because I said this to you earlier, the DOJ, the Department of Justice that reviews mergers and everything, they're just the NCAA. And this is what I mean by it. So the NCAA, they have no consistency in any of their decisions at all. I mean, this kid does something. You shut the program down, they get fines, everything. This kid does something and he gets a couple of game suspension. I mean, it's literally like spin the wheel, we'll figure this thing out. And I feel like the DOJ, they just like, oh, a merger? Let's spin the wheel. Like, why would they let this go through, but they wouldn't let the, the um, Halliburton, Hall- yeah, uh, exactly. Baker Hughes? The Halliburton Baker Hughes. So I,
1: I can see their side. So this is a midstream company, this is a large midstream who's created. There's other ways to move oil. There's super tankers. There's rail, right? There's other pipeline companies. The problem with the services companies is there's only, there's, there's three large players, Baker, Halliburton, and Schlumberger. If you let Baker, if you let Halliburton buy Baker, then you really only have two large service companies. That'd be kind of right? like AT&T and Verizon. Right, without Sprint or MCI or, or, you know, Cricket or anybody else. If you just let it be uh, AT&T and Verizon. So I see their, their, why they're looking at it that way. Um, do I think... This is going to drive out their competitors? No, because the basic business of pipelines, I think, is going to fundamentally change. We talked about this before. There's some court cases out there. And if those court cases go the wrong way, um, the larger you are, the more risk you're going to take. So in some ways, it actually could hurt you to be a large pipeline
0: company. All right. Let's let's uh, let's head over to Alaska because you had a good laugh about some lines in here earlier. While you, we're never in the same room when you're reading, so I actually heard your reaction to this story. Because um, Anyway, I'll get right into it. Alaska LNG project to move forward with changes. Yeah. So when you do these big projects, these huge
1: CapEx projects, you'll bring a third party in to look at, does this make sense to spend the money? Sometimes you bring more than one. So this is a project the state of Alaska has been trying to get uh, done for a very long time. Some big investors in there, BP, ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips. um, And Alaska has been trying to make this happen because they want the jobs, right? They want the creativity. And so they, they brought in um Wood McKenzie to do this third party evaluation just to make sure that this is worth doing. And let me let me um let me quote this. Yeah, quote it, please. <laughs> um this is one of the least economically competitive liquefied natural gas projects in the world at this time. <laughs> <laughs> that's just not that's not what you want to hear, is it? No, no, no. So um all the big players are 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 saying, look, we spent enough money here. Right now, we don't want to spend any more. And let me give you some backstory. Right now, um, we're in an LNG glut globally. We're going to come out of that relatively soon. We think the end of next year. Um, but that we're in a low price market. So if you're an LNG, if you're thinking about building an LNG facility, what you want to do is build it. And it, remember, it takes years to do this. You want to build it so that when it comes online, it's right when the price is starting to go up. So that you come out of the gate profitable, but you can produce, which means you can capture large market contracts. If you come online before the price goes up, You've now lost money. You can't even break even and you can't sign long-term contracts because nobody wants to sign that for low price LNG. If you come online too late when the prices already went up and start to level off, um, you're going to miss out because the competitors that were there before signed these longer term contracts and locked you out of that market. So timing is everything in this. You know, when you have people like Exxon Mobil and BP and ConocoPhillips saying, we don't want to go forward. This
0: probably means you should go forward with it. I'm very curious. Just, I don't know interesting take on this from me is the fact that we're always talking about the need for transparency in oil and gas. We need more transparency. We need people working together instead of holding the cards close to the, to the vest and so forth. But here we've got, you just stated them, BP, Exxon, and Conoco working together. And this, this isn't new, right? This no. happens all the time in the industry. But why is it still that everyone's so secretive, although major players play together a lot? Yeah, this this is getting to the cultural thing. It's just
1: another, you know, oil and gas is a different culture anywhere. So in this case, this is a JV, a joint venture. Joint ventures have been formed for millennium in oil and gas, especially in upstream, all over the world. What happens is that JV, in this case, BP, Conoco, Exxon, is almost like its own company. And they share information and people and resources freely, no problem, because they're all working together for a common goal. That same engineer that's working on this joint venture for Exxon when this project's completed and they don't need him anymore, and he goes back to Exxon, won't talk to anybody from am from Conocoa BP. It's just the culture of the industry. I've actually had Exxon, and, and by the way, if you're listening, you work at Exxon, I love Exxon. You're a big old ship, but I sincerely believe that you are the number one project and engineering oil and gas company on the planet. I think you can do it better than anybody. So what I'm about to say, I'm not putting you down. I love you. But it's just something I've deserved. Um, But I actually had Exxon for a, a corporate event that I was doing for one of my clients, asked me, if I could take their competitors out of the room? Like they really want me to say, okay, Chevron and BP and Shell, you can't come in. And it's like, no, I can't do that. But think about that, James, the fact that they were confident enough to ask me that, does that tell you what their the corporate mentality is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We we will talk about this more off the mic. Cause I haven't even brought this up to you, but you know, I'm listening to the, to the book about the, the big rich, the story of the, the big oil fortunes in Texas. And one thing, cause we always talk about, you talk about the, the, hesitancy to change because of you know people die and that's that's very true i think that there's also a string in it of the age of decision makers here's another thing to consider though they're texans texans Uh, historically don't really like like there's a pushback right people still talk about secession in this state right so it's interesting i mean we can talk about it more off the bike but it's just sort of an interesting take so the interesting thing about texas is it still has this cowboy mentality
1: this really is a, a very unique state of all the states in the u.s um, trucks. Everybody here drives Everybody a truck. He drives a truck. I'll go to Chevron downtown in Exxon, and that parking garage is full of not little trucks, but F350 four door, four wheel drives. And I go, You're an engineer. Plenty with much
0: yeah. bigger tires than they came with. Yeah. So jacked up. You're an engineer. You're not pulling, you know, a cattle. This trailer. guy over here, Patrick, is over here. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> I got Patrick from the HSE podcast is sitting in the room. He drives a truck, right? It's a big um, old truck. Yeah. Patrick, do you have a boat? Oh, do you really? Okay. So Patrick's has an excuse to have to a boat. Big truck. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's unique. You don't see it in other industries. The love of guns. I, I'm a big fan of that, but it's just part of the industry. The outdoors, right? Mixing food, mix mixing business with food and alcohol. I mean it's all <laughs> just part of our culture. You love the alcohol yeah. part. And I'll tell you the other thing that's a part of our culture that I just find uh, just so endearing is that when the chips are down, this whole industry comes together. Yeah. Right? There are no competitors. When stuff hits the fan, we all work together. And I love that. Even in twenty sixteen, all that stuff disappears.
0: So yeah, love yeah. this industry. Interesting. All right. So I wonder if these four Offshore drillers are working together. Nice segue. Right. Comparing four major offshore drillers and their vanquishing backlog. Yeah, so we've defined backlog before. Just for anybody that didn't hear that episode.
1: Yeah, so backlog is business that you have on the book that you're contractually obliged to, but you haven't delivered yet. It's basically, you know, I've talked about our business. Sometimes we get where we can't take on new clients and have a client waiting. That's my backlog.
0: How now, are their backlogs
1: vanishing? Because nobody needs that work anymore. Not for the drilling contractors and. What it is for a lot of the service companies in upstream backlog is how they measure their future financial success. So you have backlogs. Patrick, your mic's not on. (laughs) (laughs) You
2: want, you want to get, you you want to get into this? Jump on Patrick. I'm going to just have to jump in there on that one. Uh, Bad contracts. That's why their backlogs disappearing. So bad contracts. You get in. So your, your contracts there is a, as a stop loss, you get a certain amount per day for X number of days. When your backlog disappears, that means the contract was canceled. But well, if you have good, con- good strong contracts, it means you've got 100% fill in for that work. So if you want to cancel, if you're BPX on Shell, you want to cancel your contract, fine, cancel the contract. I want 100% of the day rate for the remaining of my term. Right. Go ahead, cancel, go away. If the contracts are disappearing, that means the percentage that you're getting is much less than that 100% that you want.
1: Yeah, so we actually, I can't remember what show, we actually talked about this earlier where one of the uh, operators actually canceled, I can't remember the, the drill ship company, it was one of the big, might have been Transocean, but they canceled a contract and were willing to pay the penalties because paying the penalties were cheaper than actually keeping the contract in, as a whole.
2: Yeah, and think how much it actually costs to run that rig. It's not the 500000 a day that you signed three years ago. It's that plus the work boats, the fuel, the, the helicopters. So that 500000 a day is actually a million and a half, two million a day for the entire operation. So if you can cancel this long-term drill drill uh semi ship contract and you have shorter-term contracts with the helicopters and the workboats that you don't have to cancel, they just go away anyway. Yeah, we'll cancel the contract. We'll pay 60, 70, 80, 90, 98% of the contract for that drill rig because we don't want it anymore. We'd rather pay 500,000 a day for the next 2 years and not have another million and a half we're paying for.
1: Yeah. And so this is a whole article around how financially companies are measured in their backlog. And it's not just drilling contractors. Companies like Cameron and FMC and Gene Oil and Gas, they also backlog is also shrinking. What it is, there's just not as much work out there um, on the upstream right now. And what's going to happen, unfortunately, if your company's measured um, publicly by your backlog, when the price of oil comes back, it's not your backlog's not going to come back right away. It's going to take you a couple years to, to, to come back with your backlog. So it's a metric that this industry's used for years to track the services companies upstreams. And this is just an article about how the backlogs are disappearing, which is just telling you that a lot of the service companies in Upstream are suffering right now. Well,
0: but this is about four specifically. And by the way, Patrick Pister, our co-host here with uh, co-host of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, which you can find on oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. Uh, or you can search in the iTunes, Oil & Gas, uh, Red Wing. I mean, basically it, it pops up. Yeah, Red Wing um, Oil & Gas HSE podcast. Look for it. It'll pop up. It'll pop up. Yeah. All right, so but I want to hear your perspective um, just off the top of your head because P- Patrick actually has uh, quite a bit of offshore experience. So Transocean, they're talking about Transocean in here, Diamond Offshore, Ensco, and then also Noble. So uh, just a little background on these companies and, and some of your thoughts on what's going on here.
2: Yeah, so all very strong offshore drilling uh, contractors. The... The cancellation clauses in these contracts, they're gonna be kept very close to the chest. They're not gonna let the let the market know. They'll they'll let them know, all right, we canceled it and we're getting, you know, this this amount of money. But they they try not to let you know what the percentage is. You can kind of figure it out once the once the money hits the books. But like I said, ideally you want to have a hundred percent cancellation clause in there, which I'm sure all these drilling contractors start with. The operators, they're gonna try and whittle that down to whatever percentage they think is acceptable. When times are good. The drilling contractors aren't too concerned with that stop loss. Now, a good marketing manager is going to fight for that because when times get bad, like they are now, if you have a 98%, 100% cancellation clause, you don't want that rig not to be working because a working rig is better for the crews. It's better for everybody. That rig stays maintained. But if they want to get out of it and pay you 100% a day, fine, get out of it. We're going to take 100% for the remainder of the contract, three years, plus our DMOB if we don't have another contract at the other end of it. That's a strong contract, and that's a good marketing manager to put that together.
0: All right, thanks for joining us on the show, Patrick. Uh, for anybody that's listening, who the heck are you and what do you do? Because just like us, you have a business. What do you do?
2: Uh, yeah, my uh, business is Lean Oilfield, and we do process improvement for, uh, for anybody that touches oil and gas. In my experience, process improvement is, and we've heard a lot this week, it's, it lives in Excel. Everybody hates Excel, but everybody uses Excel. I try and get people out of that and actually statistically look at what your processes do, how they affect your business, and how we can attack the big problems, make those changes, and make you more efficient and save you money.
0: All right, Patrick, Fister,
2: yeah, that's good. Ladies and wait, gentlemen. wait, 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 wait. Well, back on the mic,
1: Pat. If people want to find out more about what you do, where should they go?
2: You can go to leanoilfield.com. You can find me on the oil and gas Global Network on the podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Patrick Pister.
0: yeah uh. pushing him on Facebook too <laughs> pushing him on Facebook. We got to get him uh, more on Facebook. I got Mark there. He's much younger than you, hopefully it won't take as long as you mark. yeah, yeah.
1: so James actually made me get on Facebook. I had no choice
0: <laughs> all right let's uh, let's round things out with um i I I almost think I know what you're going to say, but I'm just curious. Oil discoveries at 70-year low, signal supply shortfall ahead. Duh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, so the upstream companies aren't out there doing exploration. Why? I mean, there's, they, we're, we have, we're on a glut. We have more on what to do. A lot of people don't understand. Nobody at Chevron or at Anadarko goes and looks at the entire world and finds all the oil that it thinks it can find. That, that's a waste of money. They only go find what they need in the immediate future. And then you combine that with the fact that every year technology makes it easier to find oil that usually they miss. And, and every year the amount of recoverable reserves go up, but nobody's spending money in exploration because there's no need to. What happens when the price comes back, the oversupply disappears, we'll actually go into a shortfall environment, and the and the companies will start spending more money in exploration, we'll uncover more reserves. And so this is just a natural cyclic part of the
0: market. So that's really interesting. I've never thought of this. When we've talked about this before, but just to to use any, I guess I'm from Michigan, Detroit cars, right? And this is just totally off uh, out of left field, but hypothetically in the car market, let's say all of a sudden the car market lost 70% of its value. Do you think GM and Ford and so forth would be spending money on R&D at that point? No, (laughs) no, no, No. no, right? It's interesting to think about that sort of a real other than oil and gas real world example, where, Well, of course, they're not trying to explore and discover things. The money's not there, and there's no reason for them to do it.
1: Yeah, it it doesn't make fiscal sense. And most of these large companies are publicly held, or they're a knock, which means they have an obligation to their population. And it's just, it would be a stupid idea. And so, yeah, this is normal.
0: All right, rounding things out uh, with those are our stories. Let's head over to your favorite segment, Mark, uh, the Onion of the Week. And um, I love this one because of what we were talking about earlier. And horrible Facebook al- algorithm accident results in exposure to new ideas. Oh, that's scary! Population <laughs> being exposed to new ideas. Yeah, to those who were forced to read a headline they did not agree with when they visited Facebook yesterday, we are deeply sorry. <laughs> so I'm thinking that if if this was real, and as we we actually noticed, do you know that they actually uh, Facebook they just laid off the entire. Um, trending stories. Oh,
1: I read that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So for anybody that's not familiar on Facebook, on the right-hand sidebar, they have uh, trending stories. And turns out that they were trending anything that had to do with anything to the right uh, politically. and And so it's just hilarious. Which, by the way, have you also seen that now they they have given that directly to an algorithm. Yeah, only yeah, a machine took it out. and have you seen It's some done of better? The, no. Oh, no, it's done worse. <laughs> have you seen it popped up some fake news stories, some insane news stories about a guy with a chicken. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, I'm sorry, not even a chicken. a chicken sandwich from KFC. <laughs> so some crazy stuff. Anyway, all right, we've got to move on over to our events on deck. Obviously, you can't come to Tipco. Wait, no. I'm no. going to skip. Oh, yep. we oh, have a no. We have a winner, James. We, we have a winner. James Han II, Oil and Gas Global Network, breaking in at 20 after the hour with breaking news. Adam Erickson, a project manager at C E L Electric, is indeed this week's Bulwark Two Tone Base Layer winner once again. It is confirmed. This week's winner, Adam Erickson, a project manager at C E L Electric, will be very fascinating to watch events unfold. For now. That's all reporting live from a location that is clearly not the TIBCO Energy Forum 2016 as we had to record this separately. I'm James Hahn II, O-G-G-N. So
1: thanks for entering. I'm glad you won. You're going to enjoy it. All your office mates are going to be super jealous. Now, if you want to win one of these, these really two, two-tone two base layers, and I told you before, it has become the fashion accessory in oil and gas in 2016. <laughs> That's so fun. There's only one place you can get it. You have to go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. That's dot com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. You get a chance to win. You know, Bulwark is the top FR clothing manufacturer
0: in oil and gas uh, space for a reason. Go check them out. Yeah, go check them out. Mark has a great great relationship with them. They've been great to us on the show. All right. Events on deck. IoT and oil and gas. We've talked about this before, but you've got to get more people going to the Internet of Things.
1: Yeah. it's um, you know, We're sitting at a technology conference for oil and gas, and here's an Internet of Things conference in oil and gas. Just a few years ago, it wouldn't even exist. I'm actually speaking there. Uh, if you want to learn how to sell technology to the oil and gas industry, come listen to me. It's a great conference. A bunch of great speakers out there, all from the oil and gas industry. It's next week. If you
0: come, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know you're coming. I'd love to meet you in person. But the 14th and 15th is here in Houston, right? Yeah. Okay. And then we've got also in Houston, the API luncheon. Yeah. Once again, I'll be there (laughs) since I'm on the
1: board of directors, they make me go. Um, But uh, yeah, we have a great speaker. It's a great way. If you want to meet some of the senior people, in oil and gas, all in one room at one time, if you're in sales or marketing um, and you want to cut your T&E budget, you can come to this room and and meet, you know, practically everybody you want to meet, it would take you six months and 30 plane trips to ride. If you come to this, hit me up on Twitter. And for only for our listeners, because I'm not, we're not, don't write this in the show notes, James, I'll just leave this <laughs> okay, audio. All right. Only for our listeners. If you hit me up on Twitter and you're going, I'll let you sit at my table and I'll, and I'll
0: introduce you to anybody you want to know. That's worth something actually. Yeah. That's worth something. All right. Um, and you're having what Jeff Hoffmeister founder and CEO of citizens for affordable energy. Yeah. He's a great speaker. You it's, it's, he, he uh, speaks the truth. He'd actually make a good podcast uh, guest for us. Cause he's we'll just like one, us. I'm yeah. going. All right. And then, um, New one you throw in here, tur- Turbo Machinery and Pump Symposium. Yeah,
1: I go to this every year. Unfortunately, this year I'm going to miss it. Um, uh, is a, if you sign up through my newsletter, you can go for free. This is kind of uh, the frontline people that deal with reciprocating parts, so pumps and motors and everything. So if you're in the in that world and you want to learn from people that actually do it, that actually manufacture it, actually install it, go to this. It really is a really cool event because it's, it's more um, – you know, blue collar than white collar, but it's still an expo. So everybody's in one place. And I love that.
0: Yeah, I got to check that. It's down at the George R. Brown, not far from my place. I might have to uh, head on over there sometime next week, too. It's the 12th through the 15th. And we are one week after this month's first Friday Q&A. And I'm sure there are several people out there very sad they didn't get their questions in. Mark, are they going to get another chance? Yeah, if you're very sad, <laughs> stick your earbuds in your phone.
1: Record a very sad audio message about how you missed last week. And you really hope your question will get on this week. And if the sadness
0: comes
1: comes across as genuine, we will use your question on the show and give you a shout out. (laughs) For everybody else that just wants to have a question answered, you know, there's a million ways to get us your question. Figure out what works best for you. Let us know. And if we uh, read your question on the air, you'll get
0: a big uh, shout out. Yeah, definitely. And you can go to triberocket.com forward slash QA, probably the easiest way. Or also you can go to the show notes for this page. And drop it in there. LinkedIn group continues to grow, Mark. Yeah, it's it's. We're gonna get to fifteen hundred pretty soon.
1: I think we're close to fifteen hundred now. So, um, if you're listening to the show, go join the LinkedIn group. It's the sister to the show and to our other shows. It's where we'll make announcements for all the cool stuff we're doing first, so you'll get the best chance of actually being able to participate. It's all oil and gas. Every single person, every single comment in that group is monitored by a real person, so we have no spam. Um, It's useful. You have friends there but you may not even know they're friends yet. So. Need help with something? Post a question. Get some dialogue going.
0: You know, reach out to James and I out there. We, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you at tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. We'll take you straight into there. Um, Mark, goodness, I almost forgot the reviews. I almost forgot the reviews. Do you know if we got any reviews this week? Kill some time for me. <laughs> yes, we got reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we did. Um, if we didn't, we'll have to uh, we'll have to uh, yell at everyone for not giving us any oil and gas podcast. You're, it's so much fun, by the way, I can kill my own time here. Um, when, when I meet people at these shows and they say, oh, you, in a, do you have an iPhone? Yes. It's, which is hilarious because it's the BlackBerry now. Everyone has an iPhone in this industry. Yeah. So
1: today at lunch, James was showing somebody how to load the podcast in, the, in their iPhone. I've seen James do this probably a hundred times. And I was thinking, I didn't say anything to James. I was thinking, you ought to print the instructions out and bring them with you. And then just hey, hand them to people that you meet. Like here. I need to put them on the back of my business card. Oh, that would be, no, you know, it'd be even better. Do a short video, put that on the back of your business card, and now you have people going to watch your videos, and at the same time you're finding something useful. Hey, Apple may get a hold of that. Apple may want
0: to sponsor your video. All right, we did actually get a new. Yes, we got one on September 2nd. Buzz Lyons. I am not in the industry. Yes, another person who's not in the industry. Welcome, Buzz. But have a high level of interest in oil and gas industry from an investment angle, what happens to pricing and markets and international events. Are very all very fascinating. So, getting clear, concise, and quality and objective, except for opinions relating to the state of Texas. <laughs> hey, boy, those aren't opinions; those are facts. Oh, we call them a boy. Oh, man, you're gonna have to come on down here and talk about that. Um, uh, all right. Anyway, so um, con- uh, content from this pod t- podcast is fantastic. Thank you, James and Mark, for your commitment to this avenue of great information. Thank you for listening, honestly. Yeah, another yeah, person. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining the family. We, we This would not exist without our
1: listeners like you, so i much appreciate it.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so if you want to leave a review yourself, go to trybrocket.com forward slash TW reviews. You can leave that review. It takes you straight into the iTunes store, and you can go straight to the show notes because this is episode 81. So it's com forward slash TW 81. Hey,
1: let me let me talk about that for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Hey,
0: If you want to know anything that we just talked about, the
1: easiest way for you to do it, the least amount of effort is go to the show notes and everything's there. And James has made everything clickable. Plus my contact information James contact information, any videos, even that darn weekly onion, all that's in in one place. And it's so easy for you to do. So if you want to know more, take the two seconds, go to the show notes. And even if you want to leave a question for the first Friday Q and a, leave it there in the show notes. It's a place where you to comment.
0: Yep. Trybrocket.com forward slash TW 81. We'll get you all the links for this show. You can also share the show, which we greatly appreciate. Um, I saw actually in the, in Uber, it, it, they have new signs in the Uber that I took over here today. And it says, uh, tips are not required or necessary, but appreciated. <laughs> and we greatly appreciate it. If you share the show, you can share it on LinkedIn by going trybrecca.com uh, forward, <laughs> forward slash share all I on Twitter forward slash share TW and Facebook for slash share FB. It's almost three o'clock. Actually, it's just past three o'clock. I had too much of that pasta at lunch. So let's get out of here, Mark.
1: All right, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. We have a winner of our bulwark two-tone bass layer. Who is it?
0: <laughs>
1: I would have to have it in the show notes. I know. You have to edit it later.